Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you guys as you make your way into your seats. It's so great to see you. I missed you all last week while we were gone, and I am glad to be back in here with you this morning. I want to wish you all a happy Independence Day. I uh, hope that you have a good barbecue in your future. I hope that you're going to have some dessert, some watermelon with some friends or some family later. Uh, I hope you all take this day to celebrate and um, grateful that we can make up for it tomorrow, right? We are uh, very grateful for this land in which we live and just thankful to the Lord. Um, He is good. He is good all over, but we certainly are grateful uh, for the land in which we live this morning. Well, I want to turn our attention this morning to Psalm chapter 95. As you prepare your hearts for worship this morning, uh, let us read from Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods, and his hand are the depths of the earth, and and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. I pray this morning that you would just worship wholeheartedly and let the Lord speak to you and meet you where you are today. Let us pray together. Thank you, God, for this day and for this sacred space where we can gather together to worship you as a body of believers. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us here this morning. I pray, God, that you would minister to our hearts, encourage us, uplift our hearts today. Lord, we we come here recognizing this morning that we need more of you. Dare I say, we are desperate for more of you, Lord. So I pray, God, that you would meet us here in a mighty and powerful way so that there is no denial that you are here. Lord, we love you. We lift our voices and our praises to you today. In Jesus' name, we all pray this together this morning. Amen. Amen. Please stand and worship with us this morning. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wild.
Till 
have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Blood 
your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. You may be seated. One of the things I love about that song is it's um, such a beautiful reminder that gone are the days, I hope, where um, you don't come to the altar out of fear that someone is going to be sitting in the chairs thinking, what's going on? What's happening in their life that they need to go to the altar? I have felt like that before. But um, I, I like thinking of it as, yes, that might be the case. There may be a burden that's just feeling extra heavy, and that's your way of stepping out and laying that before the Lord. But I also have viewed the altars many times as my desperation to touch the edge of Jesus' cloak. If I can just touch the hem of his robe, then I can be healed. And so there are times where I just can't. I'm overcome with with a burden to just reach out in hopes that he will meet me there. And so sometimes that's what that is. So whatever it is for you, just know that they're, they are here. The altars are here, and, and they shouldn't be a place of shame or guilt or, or feeling like something is horribly, terribly wrong, but it can be just a special meeting place between you and the Lord, and it's just it can be your way of stepping out saying, God, I'm desperate for more of you. Would you please meet me here? So always keep that in mind, but certainly as we pray together once more this morning, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your love and your grace that is here to meet us this morning. Lord, we thank you for how you are already moving in this place and you were already moving before we ever walked in these doors. Lord, I thank you for the ways in which you meet each person right where they are. And I just pray, God, that you would continue to do that this morning. We know that here in this room are many different people from many walks of life, and they all come carrying different but heavy burdens. And Lord, the beauty of your majesty is that you know each and every one that is represented in this room today. And you know the ones that are, are not even here today. And so Lord, with this confidence, knowing that you are a God that sees us and loves us and meets us where we are, it is with this confidence that we can bring these burdens before you. And as a collective body, we can stand together and pray knowing and trusting that you hear us and that you meet us where we are. Lord, we just pray for those that are here this morning that are heavy-hearted, that are carrying burdens for their family members, for their friends, for their coworkers, for their neighbors. Lord, we pray for those who feel like they are carrying something unbearable, we remember that you invite us to dwell in your rest and your presence, for your yoke is easy and your burden is light. 
thank you, God, that you carry our burdens. Thank you, God, that we can trust you with those, whatever they might be. Lord, I want to create space for you to speak whatever it is that you need to speak to our hearts this morning. Knowing each person that is here, Lord God, would you meet them right where they are? And would you strengthen them? Thank you, God, for seeing us, for knowing us, for loving us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you model for us such a beautiful example of how we are to live. And even when we fall short of that example, you still meet us where we are time and time again to lovingly guide and direct us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are within us, that you strengthen us and you give us what we need to make it through each and every moment of each and every day, including this moment on this day. Lord God, we love you. We lift our praises to you. We pray that you would continue to guide us and speak to us through your word this morning that is for your people. May you be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, if you are wanting to open up your Bibles this morning or um, open up your Bible app on your phone, we are going to be in Luke chapter 5. It will also be on the screen in a few moments when we read. We are continuing a summer series called The Art of Neighboring. This series is inspired by a book that I've read. Um, it's, it's not a new book by any means, but um, I've taken some inspiration from this book to remind us, the church, God's people, of the greatest commandment that we read in Scripture. As, as Jesus says, the greatest commandment, and that is, as we know well by now, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we are kind of spending the summer talking about what that looks like. What does it look like for us to practically love our neighbor as ourself? And, and we're spending the series focusing on the neighbors that live next door to us. And, and I always feel like I need to, to say this and remind us, because there's new people each week, that we know and understand that when Jesus um, declared this as the greatest commandment, we know that he wasn't only speaking of our literal neighbors. We know that our neighbor, in the way that Jesus used that word, means anyone and everyone that comes across our path. But we also recognize that in, in kind of broadly blanketing that statement or that commandment, we recognize that we may very well miss opportunities with the people that live right outside our doors, and we actually spend more time in proximity with them than almost anyone else. And so we recognize that 
What if we kind of focus on the command to love our literal neighbor um, and that the Lord has something for us there? We spent the past few weeks talking about some obstacles that stand in our way when it comes to intentionally connecting with our neighbors. And we've talked about the obstacle of time and the obstacle of fear and that these two things can work together and really keep us isolated from our neighbors and they can keep us from stepping out and, and connecting with our neighbors. And so today, Today, I want to begin to unpack what it looks like for us to make these connections with our neighbors. I want to introduce some things to us to be thinking about as we are prayerfully considering stepping outside and connecting more intentionally with our neighbors. And I want to pause and just check in with you this morning. How is it going with your block map? Remember this block map that I gave you about a month ago, and if you are new here today or if you want to take one of these home today, there are some out in the foyer, please feel free to take one, but how's it going? This is just a mental check-in this morning. How is that going? Are, are you filling that map up with the names of your neighbors? Are you filling that map up with the stories of your neighbors as you get to know them a little bit better? And if not, this is a gracious reminder just keep it in mind. Just keep that at the front of your mind. Keep it on your fridge. This is not a moment of shame if it's still empty. If yours still looks just like this one and it's empty, that's okay. Just keep praying about that and asking the Lord to help you. But how's it going? Are you able to write the names of your neighbors down? Are you able to write their stories down? And I want to remind you that the goal of this map is to move us from, from being strangers with our neighbors and not knowing a single thing about them, moving us from stranger to acquaintance, learning their names, learning a little bit about them, and then moving us from acquaintance to a relationship. We want to know them because they probably want to be known. Don't you want to be known? Don't you want to be seen? I know you do, I do, and so we have to know that our neighbors want to be seen and known, and so this is a way we can intentionally um, uh, make an effort to know them, know their story, and establish a relationship of some kind. But here's what I want to remind you of this morning. The, the goal is to establish relationships, but to establish relationships with your neighbors, you're going to need to prepare to share your space with your neighbors. You're going to need to be prepared to meet them in their space at times. And I want to remind you this morning that while this will look for, different for everyone, intentionally connecting with our neighbors and establishing relationships with our neighbors is going to at some point get messy. It's going to get messy. And this certainly is not only, this does not only apply to our neighbors, but any relationship we know can get a little messy. So it, whether it's your actual neighbors or your coworkers, or your classmates, or your friends, or your family. It won't always look messy, but at times, it's going to be a little bit messy. The question is, how messy are you willing to get? How messy are you willing to get? And I ask that question because Jesus got himself into some messes as he was trying to connect with people and as he was trying to establish relationships with people, he got a little messy, and it got a little confrontational as we are going to read in this uh, passage this morning. And so I want to invite you, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Luke records, after this, Jesus went out 
And he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in this passage, Jesus gets himself into a little bit of a mess. It's a little bit of a confrontational situation. And I like how, as we're picturing this moment where Jesus is sharing a meal with some people, uh, the message translation paints a little bit of a clearer picture for us, and it says that Jesus was at dinner with Matthew and other disreputable characters as guests. These characters, these guests, they did not have a good reputation. And the Pharisees saw this for what it was, and they were not happy about it. They were having a really hard time making all of this make sense. They were having a really difficult time with what they were seeing. And I'm just guessing, I'm just going to take a wild guess, that this wasn't your average after-church potluck. That this wasn't, you know, held in the church or the temple, as, as they would say, and, and this was wasn't just your average afternoon potluck after church, but I'm guessing that there was a little bit of a rowdier bunch there, a little bit of a, of a rougher crowd that was there, so much so that the Pharisees are really unhappy about it. And they're not just unhappy about it, but they cannot make sense of this in their minds. They're wondering, how is it that this Jesus who claims to be this holy son of God, this man and son of God, how on earth could he sit and share a meal and dine with such detestable people? Because that's how these people were seen in the eyes of the Pharisees. Don't paint a pretty picture in your mind. They were detestable. The Pharisees looked at at anyone who was opposed to the law of God. These men that were with Jesus and and possibly maybe women because Jesus rolled with them too. And these were people who were opposed to the Torah. They did not see and recognize God as their God or they didn't see themselves as God's people. They likely dealt with some sin in their lives. They likely lived sinful lifestyles. And so the Pharisees couldn't make sense of how is Jesus spending his time eating and dining with these detestable people that fall so short of what God approves of. These were sinners. They were detestable. They, there was no way that the Pharisees would ever be caught at the table with these people. And I think we need to take a moment to pause and recognize just what it meant for Jesus to share a meal with these people, what it meant, what the implications were, because reclining at the table, and many of you might know this, but reclining at the table, sharing a meal with people was an an intimate space. This is where you weren't just acquaintances, but you were eager to connect and do life with and relate to these people on a deeper level. 
These were people who you wanted to be connected with and to. This was a space for relationships to be created and deepened and nurtured. And I think we can understand that. Think about the people you share your table with. I'm not suggesting that we never share our table with people who aren't like us or who aren't maybe close with us or live like us or look like us. But most of the time, I'll just be, I'll say that this is true for me. Most of the time, my table is full of people who I can relate to and with. My table is, is full of people who look like me, talk like me, live pretty similar to how I live. We can relate to this and understand this. But to be at the table with these sinners, that was regarded as unbelievable. It was unthinkable that Jesus could even do this. And yet here he was, eating with, talking with, fellowshipping with, not just his disciples, but their sinful friends who oppose God and his ways. The nerve. The nerve. Because the implications here for Jesus are that these people are worthy that they are seen, they are valuable, and they are loved. That's the implications of Jesus sharing a meal with these people. And this was unthinkable to the Pharisees. Because you see, for the Pharisees, the holiness of God could never be found or experienced in this setting or this context. For the Pharisees, the holiness of God in this context, at a meal with sinners, the holiness of God would now be offended. It would be profaned. It would be tainted. In the eyes of the religious elite, holiness had to be guarded. It had to be protected. It had to be kept safe. And holiness was never this risky. I like how scholar K.E. Brower, he says this, for Jesus, holiness is contagious, outgoing, embracing, and joyous. It transforms and brings reconciliation. But think about it. How can that happen if it's locked down and guarded and only shared in certain spaces? And what I imagine Jesus saying in a roundabout way is, I'm not interested in inviting the insiders I'm inviting the outsiders because they're the ones that don't have a table. They're the ones that have been excluded from your table. So I'm not interested in inviting you to this table, not that you would come. But this is who this table was meant for. Because for Jesus, from Jesus, we learn that holiness is not exclusion and separation, but it's inclusive, it's inviting and if we are keeping ourselves kind of separated from the world and shut out from the rest of the world because we're afraid of getting our holiness a little bit dirty, like something might spill onto this clean sheet of holiness, I'm afraid that we've missed the point of what holiness is and what it means. I'm no scholar, okay? So just know that. I'm not trying to speak about these things like I'm a scholar that knows everything about them. But you and I, generally speaking, are, are Nazarenes. Most, maybe most of us are Nazarenes. And we are products of what we call the holiness movement. Stay with me. I'm not going to get too deep and boring. But we are products of what we call the holiness movement. We're pretty proud to tout that, right? We're holiness people. Holiness unto the Lord. I loved singing that song as I was marching down the aisles at my ordination. I will forever remember that moment. And I meant those words that I was singing and that were being sung over me. We're holiness people. 
But that's looked different over time. That has changed in how it's looked over time. And I would argue, just brace yourselves, I would argue that at its best, holiness was not at its best when we overly embraced legalistic rules and ideas and lifestyles. I would argue that that wasn't our most shining moment. In fact, if I can quote scholar Brower again, he, he argues, he says, one of the damaging legacies of modern holiness movements is an emphasis on legalism, a religion constituted by external performance targets. Far too often we have been guilty of a pharisaic version of holiness in which we believe that God or his people will be contaminated by that which is unclean. And so protection of purity was achieved by shunning places or activities that would otherwise be considered as worldly. That's not been, in my opinion, the most attractive aspect of the holiness movement. However... When I think we looked our very best, when I think we looked the most like Jesus, is when we, when, when our theological forefathers and, and mothers, when we poured out into the streets to meet the marginalized, the broken, the poor, and the oppressed where they were, in the middle of their mess, in the middle of their lives that were literally falling apart in and outside of their homes, and you couldn't go anywhere without seeing this mess of a a life, whether it was from drugs or gambling or alcohol, whatever it was. And our theological forefathers and mothers would, would pour out into the streets and we would meet them where we were. We weren't afraid of getting our holiness dirty. We just couldn't stand the thought of, of these people's lives being torn and overwhelmed by sin. We had to meet them where they were to let them know that there is another way that there is a Jesus who sees them and loves them. And I think that we look the most like Jesus, not when we tried to protect this perfectly pious idea of of a Christian, but, but it looked like going where Jesus went and ministering to the kind of people that Jesus ministered to. And this was the, the poor, the maimed, the downtrodden, the blind, the lame, the outcasts, the lepers, the demoniacs, the paralytics, the adulteress, and and whoever else that we would put in that sinful category. These people weren't found inside the temple because they were excluded from the temple. They're often not found in our churches because whether we don't like just advertise that they're excluded, but in a way they kind of are. And so they weren't found in the temple or in the churches because they were excluded and therefore Jesus had to go meet them where they were. They couldn't find him in the temple. So Jesus had to go find them where they were. And if that meant reclining at their table and sitting at their party doing who knows what or or, or watching who knows what unfold, if that's what it meant for Jesus, then that's where he would be. That's where he would be found. And so holiness people at our best are people who go to find the outsiders, the marginalized, the sinners, and bring them to the transforming love and grace of Jesus. Speaking of the holiness movement, let's continue for just a moment. John Wesley, who, I don't want to speak about him like you all know who he is, but, but he is one of our theological forefathers. He was a prolific leader in the holiness movement. And we love to quote John Wesley and talk about the things that he taught and said and did. And I will just want to remind us this morning that John Wesley himself 
who greatly emphasized or greatly um, you know, led us to where we are today. He explained himself that the doctrine of holiness was not to be understood as sinless perfection, but instead it was best seen when one lived out the greatest commandment to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Isn't that an interesting connection? See, for the Pharisees, just a reminder, for the Pharisees, holiness was personal. It was pious, and it made themselves look good. It needed to be fiercely protected. The better they protected it, the better they were looking. But for Jesus, and so it should be for us, holiness must never be individualistic, and it should never be isolated, but it should be lived out because at its best, holiness is corporate and it's relational. Author Bill Wiseman says, isolated individuals, example the Pharisees, can only selfishly love themselves and that is the very nature of sin. So it's almost as if we could argue that the Pharisees, in isolating themselves because they were worried about their holiness and what might happen to it, in isolating themselves, they too may have been sinning. The very ones that were criticizing Jesus for being with sinners may have been sinning against God and were therefore no better than Jesus' new friends. Right? Friends, the response to a saved life by Christ should always result in an open table with Jesus and our lost neighbors. The response to a saved life by Christ should always result in an open table with Jesus and our lost co-workers. Uh, 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 the response to a saved life by Christ should always result in an open table with Jesus and our lost friends, our lost classmates, our lost family. But the problem is that we... Like the Pharisees, we too can be concerned with protecting our personal piety and holiness, afraid that our neighbor's sinful lifestyle might somehow stain my holiness. And in doing so, we isolate and we stay separate from the world. But it appears that Jesus shows us a different way. Jesus, and I think knowing that his heavenly father would be in him, would guide him, would fill him, would sustain him, so much so that he didn't have to worry about something happening to his holiness. Because I think Jesus would consider his holiness rather than the sin of others to be viewed as what was contagious. And for those of you this morning who might be worried about the appearances of, of sinful behaviors being condoned in all of this, I, I see you. I've been where you are. I find myself in that tension. But I just want to remind us this morning what Jesus says. He says, I have come not to call the righteous, but, to sin but sinners to repentance. Hear this. Repentance is always the goal. Always. Repentance means a turned life away from the grips of sin, living in the fullness of Christ. So if that's what repentance is, yes, repentance is always and will always and must always be the goal, but it should never be required in advance. 
Because if it's required in advance before fellowship, before relationship, before connection, then I'm afraid our mission field just got a lot smaller and so did our God. I'm here to remind you this morning that not all of your neighbors are going to be cleaned up and easy to be around. It's probably going to make you a little uncomfortable at times. But I'm also here to remind myself that I haven't always been cleaned up and easy to be around. And yet, Jesus, in his loving kindness and mercy, met me where I was, stepped in, pulled up a seat for me at his table, and was willing to move into our messy neighborhoods and to model for us what it looked like to have the Holy Spirit of God living within, changing us from the inside out. He met us, you and I, in our brokenness. He didn't wait until we were clean and had it all together, but instead he met us where we were and he offered us a full, abundant life. But I have to remind us that he didn't just do that so we could stay gathered in our holy, protected huddles away from the world, but instead so that we can be faithfully present in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our schools, knowing and loving people right where they are, pointing them to Jesus who loves them more than we ever could, who can take their old life, offer them redemption, offer them a new life and a new heart. I want to invite you guys to do something with me. I want you all to close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes right where you are. We're going to go through a little exercise. Don't be scared. You don't have to do anything. Close your eyes. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a first century disciple. And I want you to imagine, put yourself in this setting. You're a first century disciple, and Jesus has just involved you into table fellowship with notorious sinners. Imagine it, picture it. You're at this table, and Jesus has you feasting and reclining and conversing with people that could literally ruin your reputation. Can you picture it? Keep your eyes closed. As the disciples walk with with Jesus... As you, a first century disciple, walk with Jesus, you look around and you find yourself at this rough, noisy party with rough, noisy people. And Jesus immerses you in this practice of showing mercy to these people and closing the gap between the so-called sinners and the saint. Imagine being in that moment. Does your skin crawl? Are you filled with a little bit of anxiety? Do you have some questions about what is happening? Are you experiencing a sense of disorientation? And then imagine, keep your eyes closed, we're still there. Imagine now you're being questioned about it. The Pharisees are approaching you, and you know what's coming, and they question you. How could you? How can you? And maybe you're thinking and you're thinking and you don't know how to answer this question. You're searching your mind for some brilliant response, but you don't have one. And yet, you still find yourself immersed in Jesus 
response, what he would offer up. People who are well don't need a doctor. It's those who are wounded who do. You can open your eyes. Friends, you are being exposed to a discipleship course that moves you deeper into the world rather than higher up in the synagogue. Defined by Jesus, the Messiah, to learn is to participate in an interactive relationship with others, not separated from others. Sharing your table with your neighbors, it might be messy. No, no, it will be messy. It might offend someone, but it's where Jesus would be if he were on this earth today. I want to invite the praise team to come back up this morning. And as they do, I, I want to remind you, remind us, because we're all in this together, and I live in this tension too. I'm not separated from it. I'm very aware of it. I want to remind us that the kingdom of God is not for a select few. We don't get to be the deciders or the choosers of who's in and who's out. We all need to hear that this morning. I don't choose who's in and who's out. We don't choose who's in and who's out. The kingdom of God is, is not for just the people in this room or in other church buildings across the state and, and the country and the world. But instead, everyone is invited. And Jesus will continue to disrupt our comfortability and he will continue to make space for even those whom we exclude from our tables. And our great God, I pray that he continues to disrupt our comfortability, making room for those who we deem as unworthy. I hope so, because he made room for me. As Paul would say, I'm the worst offender. The Apostle Paul who, in case you forgot, hunted down and killed Christians in the name of Yahweh, was invited to the table. I'm the worst offender, and yet Jesus invited me, pulled up a chair for me. Through Jesus, the circle was widened, and it's still being widened today. Jesus will pull up chair after chair after chair after chair until everyone who is called outsider knows that they are welcome at his table. So I have two questions for you this morning. My first question is, what are we doing to make sure that others know they are invited and included at our table? Another way of asking that question might be, what are the ways God would have his church, you and I, unconditionally love and be with those who some would deem as unclean or defiling today. I hope that you will pray about that in these next few moments and truly seek God and, and ask him how we can do better. May it be so with us. My second question for you this morning, do you know that you are loved and welcomed and invited to this table? It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, where you're at right now. 
Jesus pulls up a chair for you and makes space for you at his table. Would you respond like Matthew responded? Levi, Matthew, same person. I can't, I can't help but picture that moment. Imagine Matthew, just, I know I'm going on forever, but just imagine for a moment. Imagine Matthew, a despised tax collector, an awful person in the eyes of society around him. I imagine that he watched Jesus and saw and knew of Jesus before Jesus came up and said, follow me. I have to know that Matthew was already watching him. He was already paying attention. And I have to imagine that Matthew imagined to himself, what must it be like to follow Jesus? Oh man, I'm such a mess. I could never follow Jesus. I'm despised. Society calls me gross and, 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 and awful and horrible and sinful. I could never. And then Jesus walks up to him and says, Hey, Matthew, come follow me. Of course he abandons everything to follow Jesus. And of course he throws a party so that his friends would have the opportunity to abandon everything and follow Jesus, right? Of course. That seems only natural. So do you know that you're welcome to the table today? And will you too abandon everything, leave it all behind to follow the one who makes space for you. I invite you to consider these things, pray about these things, and if you must, come forward for these things this morning. Please stand and sing this song with us this morning. See you. 
you've all been able to receive communion elements. If not, slip up your hand and we'll make sure that you get those. One of the beautiful things about this passage that we read this morning is this imagery of a banquet. This imagery of a beautiful table, this banquet. And this imagery is is found all throughout Scripture. And this imagery of a great banquet is so inviting, isn't it? Because we all just want to be invited to the table where there's fellowship with God. And I'm just here to remind us this morning or just let you know, even if it's the first time, that, that this is God's banquet. And because it's God's banquet where he is the host and and he will serve the best of the best, all are invited to participate in this banquet. And I just want to let you know that God is opening up his table for you, for me, and he's bringing in those on the fringes into this circle of fellowship. You're invited to this table this morning. I want to invite you to come. Lift your hearts to the Lord and participate in this holy meal that's extended to you and all of us here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this bread and cup that serve for us as as means of your grace that mysteriously meets us right where we are and fills us in ways that we can't comprehend. And these are symbols, Lord, of your love and how you sustain us And they are reminders and tokens of your coming again to make all things right. And so we wait patiently, Lord. We empty ourselves and we invite you to fill us with more of your Holy Spirit so that we might bear your image to the world and to the lost ones all around us. Fill us in a way only you can, Lord Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that on the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink in it, whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so with repentant and grateful hearts this morning, I invite you to take and eat and be thankful.
with grateful and repentant hearts this morning. May you take, drink, and be thankful. This is the blood of the Lord that was shed for you. God, we thank you for your loving kindness and your mercy. Forgive us, Lord, where we have fallen short to be your people who are called to go and inhabit the world, to to be in but not of the world. Lord, help us to have a renewed imagination for what it looks like to be your church in this world, lovingly connecting with people, meeting where they are, and pointing them to King Jesus. Go before us and walk beside us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. I have left my announcement sheet on my pew, so I'm going to follow the slides this morning. Uh, but first, before I forget, um, with Restore, regarding Restore Network, we don't have a slide for this, but um, be, be on the lookout this week for a link. There's a, an Amazon link that we're going to send out to the church. Um, they are going to begin collecting school supplies. Um, and so there's going to be ways where we can purchase some of those through an Amazon link. And we'll be able to have those sent directly to Restore. We're still working on getting that link up and running, but we've got a few weeks to do that. So be on the lookout for that link uh, this morning. Uh, I know that we are inviting you to a new prayer prompt for the month of July. So in the foyer, there's going to be another slip of those uh, prayer prompts that look exactly like they did for June. And it's going to have one for each Monday in July. And this month, you're being invited to not just pray, but I'm going to challenge you one step further. And I want to invite you to commit to walking around your neighborhood uh, or a neighborhood for one hour, roughly. You can divide that up if you want. I feel like that's asking a lot in this day, but, uh, but I want to invite you to commit to doing that. And as you walk, I just want you to, to pray um, that the Lord would use you where he has you and that you would be open and willing to continue to lovingly meet with and connect with your neighbors. Um, so you can grab those out in the foyer. What else do we have? I'm not seeing any of them on the screen back there. Are they up here? All right. Maybe we don't have slides for the announcements. Um, let's see. I know we've got um, just continue to, to pray and grab these um, neighborhood block maps if you must. And Aaron, are you going to grab that for me? Thank you so much. I didn't want to just disappear off the platform. Sorry. There's always something, right? Thank you so much, Aaron. You're the best. All right. I know I was going to forget a bunch of stuff if I didn't do this. Okay. Um, we are going to be fundraise, or we're going to be supporting a fundraiser next week. You are invited um, to bring some little bit of extra money because Belleville Hispanic is going to be providing um, grab and go lunches. Uh, and they make, let me just tell you, I've been invited to some of their potlucks after Sundays, and it's fantastic. Everything they make is delicious and amazing. And so you aren't going to want to miss out on this opportunity uh, to, to buy like a grab-and-go burrito or a burrito bowl. And they're fundraising for um, this uh, evangelist that's coming to their church in September. They're wanting to take her out into the communities that they've been faithfully working in and pouring into, and so we want to support them. And so um, the, 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 the money that they raise from this fundraiser will go to offset the cost to bring in this evangelist. So don't miss out on that. That's going to be next Sunday, the 11th, and um, again later in the month, I believe, on the 25th. Okay, So two times this month, you'll have an opportunity uh, to participate in that. Uh, VBS, just to keep that at the front of your mind, is going to be July 29th. 
uh, through 30th um, on Thursday and Friday evening, and then we're having a family day on July 31st. So uh, keep that in your mind. Be praying for that, and, and we've got a lot of people participating in that, which we're really excited about. I want to let you know that the district is um, hosting a district lay retreat on September 10th through 12th. Uh, and that's going, there's information in that in the foyer, and you're all invited to that if you want to attend. Let me know if you have any questions, um, but you can find that registration packet out there. Um, that's going to be due July 31st. And just a reminder, too, that the office is going to be closed tomorrow. I hope you have a great Fourth uh, of July weekend with your family. And I want to invite you to stand this morning. I think there's uh, just something... <sighs> something holy about us standing and leaving together in the blessing of the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you go in the name of the Lord, that you go in his peace, and that you would lovingly meet your neighbors right where they are this week. Go in his grace. You are dismissed. Have a great weekend.